and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin, joined today by Dan Santaromita, editor at Future Sox. Dan, good to have you back. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. James Fox, <laughs> senior editor here at Future Sox. Good to have him returning after a little hiatus. James, welcome the new little fox to the family. How's the little man doing, James? How are you and your family? We're good. He's he's doing pretty well. You know, I think we're what two weeks now. It's crazy. So yeah, how about yeah, that? Yeah, he's what's it like old. being a father? And he the first time. Yeah, he you survived. What's it, yeah, what's it like? Uh, I don't know. It's actually. I mean, it's not. It's not bad. It's cool. But you know, it, it's. Uh, <laughs> You know, I've still I've still had time for for shenanigans. It's not like we're going anywhere, right? I'm not I'm not working my day job, so you know, I've just been uh, on the internet and taking care of a child. So it's been good. I guess if there was ever a time to take care of an infant, newborn, right? That would be it. I guess during uh, the pandemic. Well, I'm glad everything's doing doing well for you guys, and I'm excited to have both of you on the podcast today because a lot of White Sox news, roster shaping up a little bit. The off season is. Moving along, uh, the Sox have been active. We'll get to that. Lance Lynn, Adam Eaton joining the the squad. But also, the Rule 5 draft just concluded as we record this podcast. And that's where I think we will start today. Because it was sort of interesting to see how the White Sox decided to play leading into the Rule 5 draft. The, the players that they wanted to protect, uh, Jake Berger, Tyler Johnson, among others, for example. Will Kincannon was left off. And there was a report that Cade McClure was drawing a little bit of interest, but luckily for the White Sox, both of those players are still within their system. They did select in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft, Martin Carrasco, a right-handed pitcher from the San Diego Padres. They also lost A.J. Puckett to the Atlanta Braves. Interesting name, A.J. Puckett. Not a lot that we necessarily know about the player because he's been missing for so long. So let's get into... A little bit of the news here. James, I'll start with you. You wrote a piece for us at Future Sox detailing the moves. And I'll leave it up to you. Where do you want to start with, Carrasco or Puckett? Uh, probably Carrasco. He's entering the system. You know, obviously, I didn't I didn't really know anything about him. I had to do a little bit of research. 21-year-old righty that has only made it to low A in the Padres system, but his numbers were, were really good, like lots of strikeouts. So, you know, my guess is he'll pitch in relief uh, for one of the Sox affiliates somewhere um AJ Puckett is a guy who was a second round pick I think back in 2016 out of Kansas City he was one of these guys that was like a stud uh like quarterback that you know like came to pitching late but was pretty good he was the the primary piece in the Melky Cabrera trade like back in 2017 he threw I think one year with the Sox at Winston and then he's kind of been hurt ever since he's had a bunch of injuries so it's kind of a guy that we you know, we forgot about, I think we, he might've made one of our top thirties, like towards the back end, like, at the, you know, maybe like years ago, but yeah, I mean, that's a minor league rule five guy. So it basically just means, you know, however, so many years in the system, but he's left off of like a protected list. So, you know, he'll go to Atlanta and hopefully for him, you know, pitch in double a and be able to resuscitate a career a little bit. So, um, so that, you know, that's basically the rule five news. Um, I had read at baseball America that, Cade McClure was a name that we can talk about that was a, like uh, JJ Cooper actually expected him to get taken, which I thought was, you know, kind of surprising, but apparently Cade McClure showed up at instructs with the White Sox and was really good after working with uh biomechanist Ben Hansen and his stuff is ticked up quite a bit. So that's, 
I guess, another smaller storyline for us to follow, like as we get into next season. Yeah, that's really exciting stuff. And, you know, we're a fan of Caden McClure here at Future Sox. We're just unsure of what what the Sox have in him because there's not a lot of evaluation for us personally. But from what you're saying and what Baseball America is suggesting, this is positive news. And Dan, I'll allow you to follow up with uh, James' report there too. But real quick on A.J. Puckett, a former second-round draft pick, 2016 by the Royals. And like James said, hasn't pitched since 2017. Uh, your overall impressions of the way the White Sox played this Rule 5 period, Dan, and then any other thoughts uh, stemming from the Caden McClure news? I think with any of these Rule 5, especially once you get in the minor league phase, it's, there's there's a lot of weird stories going on. Like I, I know James Peace, he mentioned Yerman uh, Mercedes and Omar Narvaez, a couple guys the White Sox picked up in the minor league phase that turned into major leaguers. So you can get value there for sure. The big thing is really like what's the story with these guys because in a lot of cases – you know, okay, there's like in Carrasco's case, I mean, he's just too young to really have an evaluation period. And, you know, as a foreign player, he started his professional career young. And so he's three, four years into his career and he hasn't reached full season ball really. So uh, you don't know as much. Um, and then you look at a guy like Puckett on the other end of that, that they lose, who due to injuries and now the pandemic hasn't pitched in three years. So, you know, a guy that had some potential, um, but, hasn't had the chance to show that lately. So you're kind of taking wild cards, you know, maybe long shot is, isn't quite the right word, but you know, guys that are a little bit off the radar, but still have some reason to believe they have a chance or have some talent or ability. Uh, and that's really what you're looking at in the rule five, Jeff in general, but even more so in the minor league phase. So I don't think anything too surprising or uh, earth shattering out of what the white Sox did. James, I want to throw it to you here because I mentioned the White Sox protected some players in front of the Rule of Five, and I mentioned Jake Berger and Tyler Johnson, but Gavin Sheets, and you had a chance to speak with Gavin Sheets a little bit ago during the offseason, or actually during the latter part of the regular season, and he shared with us uh, some updates on his game as he wasn't invited to Schaumburg to work out at the alternate site. How do you foresee Gavin Sheets playing out, whether it's across the offseason season? as maybe a potential trade chip or a guy who could legitimately be, you know, an impact on the White Sox roster in 2021, 2022. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't get much Intel from instructs and I I don't even think Gavin Sheets was like at fall instructs. So my guess is he doesn't have a ton of trade value right now, but he, but he could obviously, if we have a minor league season as expected, I think he'll go to Charlotte like he was supposed to last year and he'll either play first or DH. And, you know, they kind of talked about him playing some outfield, but I do think the outfield's going to be a little bit crowded. Um, but you know, that's the type of guy where, you know, you go to Charlotte, he's successful hopefully. And then he's traded for a reliever at the deadline, you know, when you're trying to win a world series or something along those lines. I mean, he is a left-handed bat, which they don't have much of in their system, but Obviously, you know, Andrew Vaughn is is higher ranked than he is. Um, Jake Berger's obviously like making his way back too. So, you know, my guess is Sheets is at Charlotte, um, at least, you know, to start. He'll probably get a big league invite, I, I would imagine, to spring training. But, you know, he could he could be traded tomorrow and it shouldn't surprise anybody. I'm just not sure, you know, how much value he has after not even being at the alternate site last year. Yeah, plenty of names the White Sox have are really interesting to keep an eye on and I'm excited to have Wilkin Cannon still on the roster as well as K 
Kane McClure, those two guys that we mentioned who may have been up for the Rule 5. And here we are. As that did remind me too, James, as you mentioned, Charlotte, the White Sox minor league affiliates will remain the same moving forward here as they announced Triple A, Double A, Single A, and Advanced A are all going to say the same in Charlotte, Birmingham, Winston-Salem, and Kannapolis. So that's really exciting to know as well. All right, moving on. Dan, let's start with you. We got through the Rule 5. Now let's let's talk about the recent news on the Major League rosters. Dane Dunning and Avery Weems were dealt for one year of Lance Lynn. Initial thoughts of the move, Avery Weems, a 23-year-old lefty, and Dane Dunning, we know the story about him. He's turning 26 upcoming shortly. I think the main focus on a lot of White Sox fans' minds who were a little apprehensive when they saw that Dunning was dealt was that you know he's under control until 2027. But for me, it says that the White Sox are trying to win now, and it's it's one of those things where you have to give up cost control sometimes to get somebody who is majorly quality and efficient. Yeah, it was a it's it was both a shocking and then totally unsurprising move at the same time. Like whenever you see a big trade like that involving the White Sox, it's like whoa, I can't believe they did that. But when you really think about uh, the things that led to that move, you know, basically Game Three of the the Wild Card series in Oakland. Uh, the White Sox start dunning and have him on a short leash, and the rest of the game is a disaster in terms of how the pitching staff uh, unfolded in that game. Trying to staff that game simply didn't work. So you look at what the White Sox felt they were missing from that, and, and maybe it was Rick Hahn or other members of the front office getting a little bit of PTSD from that game and going, we can't go into next season feeling that way again about our third starter. And so they go and get Lance Lynn, and now you look at having – a legitimately intimidating playoff rotation with Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel, and Lance Lynn. Like that's going to match up where you're in any game those three guys pitch in a playoff setting. Even against some of the best guys in the game, you've got a shot. So that's what they're trying to build, and that's what they went after. So, And it makes sense. And look, if you're Texas, it's very easy to see this as a good trade because they're probably not expected to contend in 2021. Uh, Lynn was heading to free agency. Who knows if they're going to keep him? And now you get a younger starter in Dane Dunning, who's proven to be able to get big leaguers out. You know, we haven't seen it over a full season. We saw it over like a month and a half. I think it was seven starts. And he was pretty solid, but he showed some some things he needs to work on. Still, what you would expect from a rookie who hadn't pitched in AAA and was coming off Tommy John surgery without a normal rehab, you know, where he was able to go to the minor leagues. So, uh, I think Dunning was very impressive last year, all things considered, and I think that's why they were able to trade him for a guy like Lance Lynn. Now, Avery Weems is a bit of a wild card, but I think it's it's a reliever upside, so I think that side of the trade is you know, a flyer for Texas, and the White Sox are, if they know they got something there, that's fine. They only give up a, a lefty reliever. Um, but I, I think it's it certainly shows a signal of intent and a change in mindset that this is no longer – an organization looking at the future. This is an organization looking at how can we win each year and, you know, making moves accordingly. We're going to see other moves like this going forward. I think. I, I like the idea. And I like what you mentioned there about the reliever side of Avery Weems, but also what you're getting at related to Dunning and just the situations to both Texas and, and the White Sox and James, you know, obviously in this situation, the White Sox are trying to win. Dane Dunning, still a valuable piece. We were talking about, you know, trying to speculate how he fits into the rotation. He was lumped into a large group of players like Michael Kopech, Dylan Cease, Reynaldo Lopez, 
as we tried to figure out who the remaining before this trade starters were. But now it's like, hey, Lance Lynn, this is one, two, three for sure. And still, Cease, Kopech, Lopez are a part of this conversation. How do you feel about this move specifically related to Dane Dunning and Lance Lynn as they impact the White Sox? And also, are they done? Are they looking for more pitchers in the starting rotation here? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think Lance Lynn makes like a lot of sense. I think that uh, he's been really, really good. I think a lot of people don't realize how awesome he's been in Texas, you know, and they see Dane Dunning and how polished he was. And I think initially, like, people were kind of upset, like, thinking that Dane Dunning was going to be here forever. Um, and, you know, the one thing I'll say is it, it seems like this almost made sense in the, I guess, because. Dane Dunning, you know, is going to be what 26 next season. And he's probably not ready to give the White Sox 160 plus innings in 2021. Right. So it is control, but it almost makes more sense to trade a guy like Dane Dunning where Lance Lynn is going to take his rotation spot. Right. than it does to trade one of your prep arms that, that you've taken that you could theoretically like trade for something greater later on. That's where I kind of think like swapping Dunning, for Lynn makes sense. And obviously it's only one year of Lance Lynn. I think they can extend Lance Lynn, but you know, they did trade for one year and it is, you know, it's a, it's a pretty heavy price, but I think if you listen, you know, even last week on six seventy when Ethan Katz was on, Ethan Katz mentioned he has pitching plans like ready to go for Ronaldo Lopez and Michael Kopech and Dylan Cease. And there was no mention of Dane Dunning. And maybe that's a little bit of a, you know, a conspiracy type thing, but look, Dane Dunning wasn't mentioned. So it seems to me, like Dane Dunning is maybe the guy that they identified as the piece that's basically big league ready that they could trade for a guy like a Lance Lynn. So I think, I just think that's why they did it. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I do not think they're done. I think, you know, Bob Nightingale has reported that Liam Hendricks is like the top guy, you know, on their radar. And while I don't love paying a ton of money for free agent relievers. I do think it would be like, you know, something like three years in the $40 million range. So that makes a ton of sense because speaking of guys that are awesome, that a lot of people don't know, I guess, unless you play fantasy baseball, Liam Hendricks was like a four war reliever, which is absurd. Like in 2019, like he's really good. So, you know, you, we could, we could argue over, you know, if that's the best use of resources, right? Like spending it on the bullpen instead of somewhere else, but at least like that guy's really good if that is their move. And then I do think another veteran starter is probably coming, you know, whether it's Jose Quintana or somebody else, I do think, you know, that that gives you another veteran starter. And then you'll have Dylan Cease like in the mix with Michael Kopech probably starting in the minors, I would assume. And Dan mentioned the reliever upside for Avery Weems. And James, I'd love to get your take on him as well because of some of the reports that we were gathering on Weems' progression across this year. What do you know about Weems and why was it that the White Sox were able to convince Texas to take on this extra player to solidify that deal? So it just seems like another thing that, you know, I guess we, I wouldn't say that we were blindsided, but Baseball Prospectus did their their prospect list last week, and they included Avery Weems in the top 10 for the White Sox. And, it you know, it's a real head-scratcher because Avery Weems is a six-round pick out of Arizona uh, back in 2019. He was a $10,000 sign as a senior. He was a college starter that, you know, wasn't very good. So typically those money savers are just – you know, they serve as like minor league filler, right? And they're, they're org guys. And some of them go on to like become coaches in the system years down the line. Well, 
you know, they were, they were paying for a bunch of prep players that year. So they, you know, they took uh, college seniors in rounds five through 10. Well, apparently Avery Weems and look, his numbers were really good at great falls, but that doesn't always mean anything, right? Like he, he was a 22 or 23 year old that was dominating in rookie ball. Like it happens all the time, but apparently, you know, he worked with white Sox development people and he has a slider that, you know, might be plus, and his fastball is ticked up like into the mid nineties, like, you know, since he's gone into shorter, shorter stints. And apparently he looked pretty good in fall instructs. You know, we weren't, we weren't out there at all. So we, you know, we didn't see any of that stuff. Only basically what we've read. Uh, the guys at baseball America indicated that Avery Weems was going to be in their top 30 for the white Sox, probably at the back half. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's like a pretty realistic secondary piece. Right. So, I don't think it's something that'll come back to kill him. I mean, even if Dan said like reliever profile, I mean, he could, you know, he could be in the big leagues in a year and a half contributing, but I mean, look, it's, it's still a left-handed reliever that you traded. I think you would trade, you know, Dane Dunning and a, a future lefty reliever, you know, to get Lance Lynn any day of the week and like not feel bad about it as long as Lance Lynn does what everybody thinks he's going to do. Yeah. Regarding the Lance Lynn move, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And Dan, you know, there's a lot there, and I'd love to get your take on the future of the rotation as well as what James brought up about Liam Hendricks, but the Avery Williams-Dane Dunning for Lance Lynn move overall, I think we're all in agreement, makes too much sense for them to not make. Yeah, and I, the one thing I wonder is whether, you know, because we keep bringing up instructs, like whether it was with um, Core for the Rule 5, uh, Weems in this case in this trade, because there was no minor league season and maybe James is more for you because you've been more tuned into this stuff than me. And no one, none of us really, like you said, there's been a ton of information coming out. So we don't really know that much, but like, what are teams getting out of this instructs? Like, do you think there's maybe more scouting emphasis on this instruct, which was like what a month of baseball and kind of sporadic, some teams starting earlier, later than others, like, inconsistent schedules and stuff like that. Like, do you think the instructs is maybe being overvalued because scouts haven't had looks during the minor league season? Uh, I mean, I guess I'll, we'll see. Right. I mean, cause any, <laughs> any, any of these prospects that are being traded, you know, there's these little notes from baseball America and not just from the white Sox, but from everywhere, like, Oh, like these scouts saw this guy in instruct. So there might be right. some, some validity to you. Like, just thinking possibly these guys just like have itchy trigger fingers and they're like, Oh, we just saw him get him, you know, type thing, you know? So look, there was no media out there. Obviously like we tried to send Sean, but um, apparently like scouts were right. And they were playing actual games because in the, in the notes about Cade McClure, it said that, you know, he had started games and like looked pretty good. So yeah, I mean, so there's just like this whole trove of information out there, I guess on guys, during instructional league. And obviously like all these guys were either working out in their homes or they were lucky enough to be at the alternate sites. Right. So like the, the shift, I guess, like in the industry as a whole, like ranking prospects over the next 18 months, I think could be crazy if it's something that you pay attention to regularly. Right. Like if all of a sudden there's like random names on the MLB pipeline, top 100 list, well, you know, that's probably because like, nobody's like known anything for like a, for a calendar year almost now. Right. Like there, there's a ton of guys who probably got better at random alternate sites that we have absolutely no idea who they are. So I guess that's like one of the more interesting parts of all this. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's like the Rays and, and Rangers 
made a trade today, right? And one of one of my things is like don't trade young Dominicans to the Rays. Like if they want like your young <laughs> if they want your young Dominican players, like keep them instead. But you know, the Rangers did it today and they always make weird trades and you know, that's how they end up with, you know, the guy who who's the guy that was awesome in the playoffs for them from St. Louis. I mean, he he wasn't a top 100 prospect either. And now, you know, he was awesome in the in the playoffs in the World Series. So, yeah, I just I just think it's you know, we'll 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 see. I guess, I guess is my answer for for Dan, but yeah, like there there were a bunch of games on the backfields and uh, you know, development staffs got to enhance the value of some of these guys and it appears that's what the White Sox did with Avery Weems. Thinking about just this whole year and instructs how that came into play, those who went to Schaumburg at the alternate site, those were left off. I wonder about players in the White Sox system that were affected most by this. And James, let me let me ask you this question, since we're peppering you here. A guy like Yolbert Sanchez, what what's the, what's going on and how did that impact how did this year impact his development, right? Because we haven't seen him stateside yet, if I'm not mistaken. And a guy like that who was already advanced in terms of age and defensively when they signed him in the international signing period a couple periods ago. And now without that opportunity to, because I felt like this was the year, a great year to evaluate Yolbert and what they have in him. And I I just was hoping to see him on the South side to be used as a a defensive utility man somehow uh, sometime soon. But I, I just wonder how that's affected him and where he's at in his development. Yeah. So, I mean, I wrote something on Marco Patti a few weeks back, you know, and James Fegan at the athletic wrote a piece and that was one of the guys that Marco discussed was Yolbert. Um, so Yolbert is stateside. He was stateside for spring training. He was, I think slated to go to Kannapolis and he's always been billed as like big league ready defensively at shortstop. And he, you know, and he couldn't really hit, but you know, he hit fairly well in the DSL, but he's much older than those players. Um, you know, Margot Patty loved him and signed him for two and a half million dollars. So I guess consider the source like Marco Patty thinks that he has more power than he's than he's shown. So I don't know. I mean, if he's like a 10 homer type, you know, with a low average, but a gold glove type you know, infielder, then yeah. I mean, I think it is a utility profile and I think it's soon. I think he's probably at Winston this year. But with a guy like him that's like 23 already, there's no reason for him to go level to level if he's as good defensively as they think. Just, you know, he could be a defensive-minded utility guy that develops offensively in the big leagues, especially since it was like only $2.5 million. So I think, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know how much it, you know, it affected him, you know, because he would have played games this year and he didn't. But, you know, he was working out somewhere like the rest of these guys. Yeah. Yeah, just something that came to mind. It was interesting. You know, he's, like I said, he's an older player, and we ranked him in the top 15 in our uh, Future Sox midseason ranking. So that's that's some value there. The guys that it really hurts are the the older international signings that the Sox have, like the yeah. Luis Mieses and Anderson Comas and those guys. Like, with some of these minor league changes, those dudes might have to go to Kannapolis or Winston, and they're definitely not ready for that at this point. So... You know, that's where, and obviously on future podcasts, like we'll get into, you know, what, what happens with the reorganization of these minor leagues, but stuff like that, there's going to be guys playing at affiliates that just really aren't ready for affiliates. And they, you know, they might lose careers over it because there's just not another spot to send some of these guys. Yeah. And we talked about that. Dan and I did with Matt Cassidy 
former Future Sox uh, editor-in-chief, and he mentioned that exact idea is that's one of the fallouts from losing an advanced rookie affiliate in Great Falls. So, yeah, something to keep in mind for sure. Uh, and, yeah, just really interesting stuff as we continue to keep an eye on at the international class coming up too, James. I know you're going to be all over that. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk to Ben Badler sometime soon. He's a friend of the program. Spoke to us last year. Really good stuff, obviously, Baseball America. Dan, let's uh, let's shift the conversation now. Now, this is a little bit uh, – yeah, so the, we, we talked about Lance Lynn overwhelmingly accepting, uh, um, at least among us three, of the move. Now, among the White Sox fan base, you know, they see Adam Eaton on a year deal plus an option, $7 million, $8 million. And, boy, was there a lot of backlash. Yeah, I mean, I think Han talked about this trade in, in terms of what – Eaton did last year, you know, when last year in the shortened season, he actually struggled probably the worst year of his career since before his first White Sox stint, you know, when he was just coming up with Arizona. Uh, but you look at a guy, you know, Eaton's a, a lefty. He can hit righties. You can get Larry Garcia to hit the lefties. Uh, I think that's kind of where they envision this, you know, breaking down as kind of a platoon situation, which look, I mean, if you're a White Sox fan, and you see the core of this team, you're hoping, you know, right field is plenty of good hitting right fielders out there. Let's go get one and, you know, have this like video game insane lineup. But you realistically, the White Sox don't need another star hitter at right field. They just need someone to be, you know, average, right? So, and you look at how how much Nomar Mazara struggled last year and the fact that Garcia went down like in the what second week of the year and the White Sox still had a great lineup. So, I think pragmatically you look at it and go, okay, well, as long as Eaton is a little bit better than he was last year, and if they can platoon him and Garcia and do a lefty-righty thing, you know, they can they can find a way to make it work and, and get improved value out of right field. It's not a superstar acquisition. Uh, you're not getting Adam Eaton in his prime when, when the White Sox trade him to Washington. But – you know, you're getting an upgraded defensively, even though he struggled a little bit later last year. Apparently, some of the metrics don't have him um, as good defensively as he was in his heyday. You know, so what kind of guy are the White Sox getting? Eaton had his injuries with Washington. Uh, really only played one full season. So you look at a guy that, that should still be an upgrade. It's not a big expenditure. You hope the White Sox spend the money. You know, like James said, they might get another veteran starting pitcher, add a little more depth there. Uh, they could spend some money on bullpen. There's still kind of a DH question. How much of that will go to Andrew Vaughn and Jose Abreu? Will they get a veteran there? So it's like, there's other ways they can spend the money. Um, it's not the most exciting move, but it's easy to see how it makes them a better team. Dan, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think, you know, you do have to take the 2020 season into account, but it's not the end-all be-all. You can't look at that as, as life or death. And I think, yeah, there is regressions over the last – that the previous two full seasons in Adam Eaton's game. But when you're looking at what's available and the market value of those who are available, you're going to invest in players who you may be locked into for multiple seasons that, of course, the way the White Sox do business, and that won't necessarily want to invest in that type of value. And you get an Adam Eaton who is an upgrade over Nomar Mazara. I mean, that's about as easy as it is to say because – you're just looking to replace the value you got out of right field last year. And it's you know not that difficult to do just based on what you saw from that position. So I think Adam Eaton is fine. 
it's a fine upgrade. People may be concerned about the attitude narrative. And I think that's a little bit overblown. Yeah, he's he's kind of in his own head. You know, but he's an extreme competitor who may ruffle some feathers in the clubhouse. But if that doesn't become an issue, then I think this, this is fine. And those who are concerned about the regression, James, I think it's fair to be worried about it a little bit. But again, it's it's a one-year deal, and it's it's better than what you have, and it allows the White Sox more flexibility um, moving forward if they do indeed, like Dan was mentioning, grab another veteran, whether it's a DH type or somebody who can fill in in the outfield as well. Yeah, I mean, that, Rick Hahn said today, apparently, like, this is going to let them spend more money. Like, I'll you know, I'll believe that when I see it, obviously, but... So, you know, in a vacuum, I guess Adam Eaton makes sense because it's better than Nomar Mazzara, right? Obviously, I wanted Jock Peterson. I thought that fits better. If they think that Jock Peterson strikes out too much, like in this lineup, like I get it. Like Adam Eaton is a profile that they don't really have. He's probably only going to play against righties, ideally. The right field defense, you know, while it's not as good as it was, is is still fine for the most part. You know, and it's a player that's going to grind out at bats, and he's notoriously on base at a 360 clip. So, yeah, I mean, it makes some sense. It saves money. But, you know, we're, we're right back into, you know, talking about right field again probably next year at this time, right? Because it's another it's another short-term stopgap signing. That doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that they need to do a better job of reallocating money, you know, for, for some of their other moves. And we'll see what else they do here. I was a little surprised because even like most of the beat media kind of talked about how bad of a guy Adam Eaton was and, you know, his contribution to their failures, like, you know, pre 2016, as, as far as a clubhouse goes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not overly concerned because I do think that they probably asked the team how they felt. And I think what Tim Anderson and Abreu and maybe Larry were the only guys that even played with Adam Eaton before. So, you know, I'm sure those guys signed off if he's here. It is underwhelming for people that maybe wanted a little bit more, but I, I guess for those people that are underwhelmed, they should probably look at the totality of, like the rest of the off season before completely freaking out that Adam Eaton was their top free agent signing. Yeah. And I think that's a very fair evaluation, James. And I appreciate you bringing up the fact, yeah, career 360 on base percentage and, you know, his career split splits Adam Eaton against left-handed pitching isn't, isn't that bad. It's, it's pretty productive, at least uh, on paper. So, you know, this isn't a player who you're going to strictly platoon. I'm sure he's going to play, a strong amount in right field, the majority of right field. We'll see, of course. And I think that's an interesting name that Jock Peterson, he's been linked to the White Sox for years. And I like his profile as well. But, you know, there's not a lot of pickings there in right field who are available in free agency this year to say, okay, we could have gotten somebody way better than Adam Eaton, obviously George Springer, but you're not going to invest in that type of player. The White Sox came out and said that. So I think, I think it's fine. I think all of this makes sense. I think it's calculated. And this is what the White Sox do, James and Dan. The, the, they make sure that you know they're not committing themselves to multiple years to one player unless it's their own that they develop that's on their cost-friendly you know, contract that they, that they offer. So this is the White Sox way, and I'm interested to see how they, they move forward in other areas as well. So couple more things before we move uh we end this podcast here no more james mccann possibly returning to the white Sox conversation here and i always like to visit this topic the the catching topic because rickon did speak to the media and he mentioned that he was 
He was pretty confident in what they have depth-wise at catcher, including Sebi Zavala, Yerman Mercedes, and Zach Collins. So let's start there. Dan, how do you feel about the catching situation within the system? Uh, are you optimistic about the progression of both Yerman and Zach Collins? And how does Sebi play in all of this? Well, I think you look at backup catchers across the league, and the White Sox have three guys that can certainly be at least that, right? Uh, I think when you look at James McCann and uh, Yasmani Grandal last year, the White Sox were really spoiled with two very good, I mean, two all-star catchers, right? So to kind of lose that luxury is is something you go, oh, that's a shame. It was really cool to have two studs at catcher. But, you know, realistically, backup catcher is, is not a high bar. Uh, I think, you know, Collins and Mercedes have the potential to far out-hit your average backup catcher. Now, whether they can field the position at that level is another story, especially when it comes to Mercedes. Um, you know, and I think it's important to, to give Zach Collins some opportunity. Like, the guy just has not had a string of consistent at-bats in the last two years, right? I mean, he comes up in 2019 and gets, like, I don't know, a week as an injury fill-in, and then he comes up and he's sitting on the bench for, you know, six out of seven days and getting a pinch hit here and there, and uh, really never getting a, a chance to kind of adjust to major league pitching. And, and that's why I think that's why the performance in the major has been so, so bad. Like his overall numbers are kind of terrible, but like uh, there's no way to really evaluate him based on that. So, you know, I still have some hope. I know James is a big fan of his. I, I still have some hope in Colin becoming a, a productive major league hitter, uh, certainly enough to be a backup catcher. I really believe in Mercedes bat. I don't know if you consider him a catcher long-term, and then Zavala is kind of the flip of that. I think he's more of a, um, you know, third catcher type for most organizations where if someone goes down, you bring him up to be the backup. I, I don't know that he can hit enough. He's probably the best fielder of those three, but I, I don't know if he can hit enough to to warrant a full season uh, roster spot as a backup, especially when the White Sox have those other two. But like, if we're talking about backup catchers, like that's fine. There's just, there's no reason to panic over those three, any of those three being the backup catcher. So obviously like the Zach Collins line, like for fandom starts like behind me, I feel like, but you know, he had, he's kind of had a rough go of it, but if you look at minor league numbers, you know, he dominated righties at every level and, you know, got on base around a 400 clip. So look, I think Zach Collins can hit right-handed pitching in the majors. I think he can catch part time. The problem with Zach Collins is I, I do think he probably needs more consistent playing time. So, you know, he may never live up to expectations playing part-time um, just because of the nature of like, you know, him being kind of a true, a three true outcome type guy. But I, you know, I do think he's probably the backup catcher. I think they could sign like a vet maybe to a minor league deal, like a defensive type guy you know, to have him around too. I do think they'll probably carry three catchers and Collins will be on the roster. So he's going to get his chance to at least hit against righties. Um, Yerman will be around as well. Would they go Yerman and Zach Collins as like their number two and three catchers? I, I don't know. I mean, Han said that he'd feel comfortable with that, but that's just kind of something I feel like GM say at this time of the off season. But look, if they're both on the 40 man roster, I would think they have to like get a shot here at some point. So you know, I think those are the primary two guys. Sebi Zavala, you know, is probably the catcher at Charlotte, and I'm not even sure if he'll make it, you know, if he'll still be on the 40-man once the season starts. Do we think uh, the White Sox might play Collins and Mercedes some at DH? Like, is, is a, um, 
a stop gap until Vaughn comes up for service time? Like, could this be a, a short term thing? I think they might have to. So I was actually kind of thinking about that today, right? Because like, if you're playing Eaton and Wright, you could theoretically play Angle or Larry Garcia in left and DH Eloy if there's not another move. But yeah, I mean, if if you have three catchers on the roster, I think one of them can DH. Now, obviously, if if it's just Zach Collins as your backup catcher, I don't know how Larusa is going to be. But you know, Ricky never like would DH the backup catcher ever, you know, so we'll see. I mean, I, you know, I think it makes sense. I don't know if they'll carry two guys to specifically DH. So, you know, they would have to probably do something else, but I do think that, you know, they're going to, um, Yasmani is not going to catch 150 times. Right. So, I mean, he's, he's probably going to DH quite a bit. So yeah, some, somebody has to be up there and, you know, 26 roster spots, I'm pretty sure it goes back to 13 pitchers, 13 position players. So, you know, there is room for Collins and Mercedes. I just don't know if, like, that's the the route that they'll take. Um, They could add another veteran, obviously. I just – I don't think they're going to tie up much money in, like, an everyday DH. So, you know, it it does make some sense that that those guys could be options to get some plate appearance. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because when you look at – the White Sox philosophy, the previous few years where they were giving guys opportunities to see what they had, like how many, like Ryan Cordell, Nick Delmonico, like name, you know, a guy who was like, maybe this guy will be something, you know? Um, I, I wonder if, because you look at Collins and Mercedes guys, you actually deserve some look just to see what you have, you know, and, but you're also looking at a team that's maybe going to open the season as the AL central favorite. And do you really want to risk, finding out what you have when you're contending and risk that they're, they're not anything. So that goes back to the Andrew Vaughn thing too. And I think we should touch on that briefly. Look like, no, I don't think anybody thinks Andrew Vaughn is like starting with the major league club, you know, just because this is the way they've typically done things is they've got that extra year, but Andrew Vaughn also hasn't played higher than high a, but I don't think you can just discount the full season at the alternate site and say like, Oh, he hasn't played like, above high a this is not going to be a traditional path like because of the way this season was right it's not like they're going to bring andrew vaughn to spring training and then he's going to go do a full year at double a like i don't i don't think that's true i know for a fact that they almost called him up this past season and they opted against it so if that's true they could skip double a with him and send him right to charlotte now you know with with the minor league season starting a month probably after the major league season, um, you know, it might be a little bit later, but I think Andrew Vaughn, I think at least they think that Andrew Vaughn's going to factor into 2021. I think, I think if he plays like 120 plus games in Chicago, I wouldn't really be surprised by that. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter specifically like worried that, you know, they're, they're banking on, you know, a high pick that hasn't played above high A, like as their primary DH. And I really, I don't really understand some of the worry, you know, like he doesn't have to be a superstar right away. And I think he is, you know, not far away from like being ready to hit in the big leagues. So I, that's like something that doesn't really bother me that much is if they have Andrew Vaughn penciled in, you know, as long as it's not in pen, I, I don't think it's that unrealistic. You know, you guys read my mind because the last conversation topic I wanted to bring up was Andrew Vaughn's path. And you both brought up great 
points about how much do the White Sox want to invest in the designated hitter this year outside of the organization because of all the depth that we just talked about. In regards to Andrew Vaughn, I felt like at the beginning of spring training in 2020, he was close. Maybe not ready, but close to big league ready. And I think in a traditional season, they would have eased him, obviously. And, and I, he would have ended up in Charlotte. And I think what James has said about the alternate site, you can't discount that whatsoever. I think Andrew Vaughn is ready to go. I think he could make the opening day roster if the White Sox, you know, under traditional circumstances, uh, and they don't want to manipulate service time. I think he's ready to go day one, but they're going to take it easy on him. And I think, it just my my opinion here, I think Andrew Vaughn is going to do just fine at the big league level, and I think he's going to be a productive hitter just because of the, the skill set and the tools. I mean, this is this is a complete prospect in terms of hitting, you know, and there, there's a lot of value in his game. So I'm excited, guys, and I, I agree with all, pretty much everything that you guys just, just went on about re- related to Andrew Vaughn and how he's going to impact the 2021 White Sox because, Dan, I think what James said is, is – pretty close to what may happen 120 games for Andrew Vaughn in 2021. I don't think that's out of the question. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we could see the, well, I guess it's a little different with uh, Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert because they signed deals, but Nick Magical, you know, starting a little bit late in 2020, we could see something similar with that with Vaughn. Now the, the thing is like, you know, the White Sox, White Sox fans may look at, the, the lineup and say, oh, we got these two holes in right field and DH, and there's tons of guys who can hit those spots. We can really get a loaded lineup, and you know they go with Adam Eaton, and they may go internal with Andrew Vaughn, which is kind of the cheaper route for both spots. But look, well, the same argument where I said about Eaton versus um, Nomar Mazzara, Andrew Vaughn versus what Andrew Encarnacion was last year could still be an upgrade, even if he's not all that good as well. Like, So if you're the White Sox internally and you go, hey, look, this team – until the last like what week of the season had what had the best record in the American league. And we're still going to be able to get better at, at both right field and DH. Even if Jose Bray is not an MVP next year, which I'd be shocked if you can replicate that, but um, you're expecting Michael Kopech to contribute. You're expecting, um, you know, Lance Lynn to make your rotation better. You're expecting maybe even the bullpen to be a little better. If some of those young guys take another step. Um, you know, like if crochet contributes more, if, if Hoyer and Foster gain more confidence and do it over a full year, there's a lot of things that could get better from a team that already looked pretty good. They already fixed probably the biggest hole. So going internal at DH, you know, and, and still getting a minor upgrade while developing one of your best prospects seems like a, a pretty savvy way to save some money. I know that's not really the ideal scenarios. You want to just go splash and just have this juggernaut team, but like this team could still be really damn good. You're right. And then if you have the resources in terms of, you know, the financial resources, I should say, and you could adjust on the fly. You know, you're not tied down to specific players. And I think that offers a lot of, a lot of flexibility for Rickon to maneuver maybe a restricted payroll from the top, whatever you want to consider it. Um, so as we wrap up this conversation, I'll just throw out my ideal for the remaining offseason, what I'd like to see the White Sox go and, and do. I want to see another pitcher. I'd love another starting pitcher, and I'd love to see Liam Hendricks. If James said three mil, uh, three years, $40 million, it's totally fine by me. I mean, that guy is unbelievable, and he's even better than Colome, So, And Colome was locked down. 
Um, so that's where I'm at. And if they go out and get another affordable bat who they can find a way to, you know, fill in some, some at bats, whatever, in, in whatever scenario in the outfield, um, at a designated hitter or whatever, you know, that, that's fine with me. But I think priority, in my opinion, another starting rotation piece, maybe a mid tier bottom, you know, three, four, five guy, uh, as well as Liam Hendricks. I don't know about you, James. I, you know, I do think, you know, it's going to be another starter. I mean, Jose Quintana is like the obvious name to come back since Adam Eaton's come back. But I mean, look, there's, there's other guys out like Garrett Richards, um, is a name that I'd heard. And then, uh, you know, like Trevor Cahill is a guy that wouldn't really excite anybody, but he was, he was really good with Ethan Katz in San Francisco. He's another one of these guys that kind of was like rejuvenated a little bit. So I, you know, I don't think it's anybody that would like definitely, you know, have a rotation spot on lockdown. If all of a sudden Michael Kopech is awesome and Dylan Cease like finds it under a new pitching coach, like those guys will factor in and then you just kind of scurry the signing off to the bullpen. But yeah, I do think, you know, they'll have another veteran starter. I think, I I think it's going to be fairly significant money spent at closer. And then look, you could see like another reliever too, just because the market is super flooded with talent. And then, you know, talking about the position player side, I'd wait. Like I would just like wait and see what's left over and see if something makes sense. I don't think they're going to sign a DH like to DH, but if you can get another outfielder that hits left-handed that offers some flexibility, you know, if Andrew Vaughn's like not coming up right away and, and you have the flexibility to kind of mix and match another guy that can play the outfield, I think, I think that makes some sense. I think they could go um, a lot of different directions, but I do think, um, while I don't know how much money they're going to spend, I do think the majority of whatever that amount is probably gets spent on pitching. Yeah, I, th- I think that's it, right? I mean, the pitching is probably the priority. I think we've talked through the various lineup things, especially now that Eaton is the right fielder, or at least part of the right field conversation. So you look at what they have in the pitching side. And I think, you know, and I, I we've talked about this between us internally, like whether or not the, the extra starting pitcher is someone like Gio Gonzalez that you just hope to be a fifth starter, throw some innings. Because the White Sox have right now basically seven starting pitchers, you know, of, of some value. You know, you got Giolito, Keiko, and Lynn locked in in your top three. And then, you know, Cease can be in the four spot probably at the start of the year. Kopech maybe doesn't give you a full season, but has a potential to be really good. Maybe give Reynaldo Lopez another shot. He can fill in, you know, basically split that fifth spot with Kopech. And then you even got Jonathan Stever as a fill-in. So you look at wanting to develop guys while also having some consistency. I think you probably go on the lower end and and get just a, a veteran guy. I mean, if it's just another player who's no more, uh, you know, of a similar caliber to Gio Gonzalez – that's probably realistic to me, you know, maybe like James said, they, they get, you know, somebody like Cahill, but you know, I, I think, yeah, pitching and, and you can always get more relievers. Like they, like Steve, she's has gone from the bullpen and column has gone. So closer and maybe like another guy. And that's probably all you need there. Guys, really good stuff. Dan, James, always a pleasure to talk to you. Looking forward to the remaining of the offseason. I mean, Christmas, New Year's, it's on its way. I remember the White Sox landed Dallas Keuchel a couple of days before Christmas, so who knows? I mean, Rick Hahn said it. They're not done yet, so we'll see how it goes. Dan, it's been a pleasure. Always good to talk to you, sir. Yeah, this is fun as always. James, thank you. Good luck with everything moving forward. New little man at home. All right, thanks. This has been another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. 
Pleasure to speak with you as always. Check us out on futuresocks.com. Go to anchor.fm forward slash futuresocks for our entire library. Also subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Check us out on Google Play as well. For Dan Santaramita and James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin. Again, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next time.